You turn your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. And yes, John, this John did get ahead of me. We're in verse 5, not verse 6, but that's okay. It all, it all flows together. You know, it's powerful when you hear people share, and I'm thankful for that um, sharing and uh, what God means to us and, um, and, what he mean, and what we mean to one another. I think it's wonderful. Um, we have taken some time to introduce this book, this little letter, First, first John. What is called the prologue, those first four verses, we touch briefly on some of the themes that we have um, started going through. Uh, our first lesson, we talked about the three purposes. Why did John write this? And that's one of the things. That, why did John write this letter? What's the purpose? And so as we look at that, we can see how to approach it and how, what we need to do with it. And so in two words for each purpose, we looked at how... Uh, we are, our joy is to be full, our joy is to be made complete. That's in chapter 1, verse 4. That we are not to sin. One of the reasons John wrote this is so that you will not sin. And that's in chapter 2, verse 1. And the third one is so that we can know that we have eternal life. We can know we have salvation. Chapter 5 and verse 13. And so when I look at this, as I read through these passages, I ask myself the question... If my joy is lacking, if I continue to sin, if I'm not assured of my salvation, then why not? Why not? Because John wrote it for these reasons. And so as we look at this letter, we're going to learn, and, and, and John's going to help us grow in these areas, help us, because none of us are completely where we should be. Secondly, we saw how uh, everyone lives by faith, not just people who go to church. Everyone in the world lives by faith in some way or another. Uh, they have a faith in a system. They have a faith in a philosophy. Uh, what they've been faith in what they've been taught, uh, or a faith in a in a person. And so John starts out saying, "I want to tell you about Jesus. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I know him." And so, based on that, he he is who we are to put our faith in. Then third, we looked at the, this concept of joy. And I, uh, I entitle or I define joy as knowing a good thing when you see it. It's joy based in knowing. Based in knowing who God is, who He made us to be, what our relationship to Him is. And we're going to see as we go through this letter, as you read through this letter, we're going to see this from all different angles. We're going to see this from... Uh, each one of these actually from all different uh, angles that John, as John explains it to us. Fourth, we saw we have, a, we have a message to proclaim. Several times he says, this is what we declare to you. This is the message we proclaim to you. And so we have a message of a real risen Savior. And it's more than just a verbal message. It's more than just me getting up here and talking or someone teaching a, a Bible lesson. It's how we live our lives. And that was what, that, one of the things that stood out with me in that sharing time is the people who were talking about an expression of their, of their lives. We proclaim the gospel through our, the way we live our lives. And then last lesson, we looked at the joy of fellowship. We have a partnership with God. We have communion with Him based in what He did for us. And we could use that in one word, grace. We're saved from sin. That's true. 
But it doesn't stop there. We're saved from sin to something. We're not saved from sin and just sit around until He comes again. We're saved from sin to fellowship with Him. To walk with Him is another way of saying that. We weren't saved primarily to be good people. Even though we need to be good people. But that wasn't what God saved us toward. He did not save us so that we'll follow a new set of laws. He didn't say, okay... Uh, you're living this way, and I'm going to give you a new set of laws to live by. And so he saved us so we can follow the new set of laws. We're saved so we'll have a relationship with God. What we lost in the garden with Adam, Jesus came to restore to us in a fellowship with him in our present lives. And so, of necessity, if I'm in fellowship with God, and you're in fellowship with God, then he says we're in fellowship with each other. And this, we're going to see how this plays out in the letter. As we go throughout this little letter, he's going to talk about this relationship that we have with each other. And just to give you a foretaste, it's somewhat disturbing sometimes. Because I have to deal with people. And you have to deal with real people. And so John's going to tell us a little bit about how we do that with one another. This letter, I've been trying to describe how it's written. And maybe a, a metaphor would be this. It's like a diamond. You take a look at a, at a diamond and you look at a, a beautiful cut diamond. And I don't have one, but, you know, I've seen them in display cases. And they're beautiful and the way the light shines on them in certain ways. You see one set of beauty and love, loveliness and you look at it a different way and you'll see another uh, uh, beauty that comes out of it. And this letter is like that. Every, as John goes through, things are going to be repeated over and over. And we're going to see the, the joy of fellowship and the joy of a relationship with God in one angle and then another angle. And then we're going to look at how we can know certain things and it's going to be this angle and that angle. And so it, it, you're going, you may feel that we're getting a little uh, repetitious or that John is getting a little repetitious because he continues to come back to these themes over and over. But I want to ask you this. Do you get tired of God's love? Tired of God's grace? Amazing grace. And he's going to show us his grace in different ways. And, you know, we say, no, I don't get tired of it for me. Sometimes I get tired of it for you, you know, because you seem to require more grace. And so we get kind of a little tired of the other people. And guess what? John deals with that. We're going to see that in all different angles. Now, John is going to con what condense here the good news of Jesus right here in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5 together. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. In one sentence, here's the gospel message. The gospel message is about God. It's about God. That, the word gospel, even though the word here isn't gospel up here, means good news. But this word message, this is the message, could be translated news. This is the news. This is the news about God. This is the message about God. And in fact, in the Old Testament, in the, the book of Proverbs, the same word is used there when they translate it into the Greek language. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, 
But a kind word or good news cheers him up. And so in that same context, he's saying, this is the good news that will lift your spirit. This is the message that we heard from the beginning. Good news. But like modern news, it can be taken good or it can be taken badly depending on how it affects you. The city has increased its budget and, and they're paying uh, their employees more money. Good news or bad news? Well, good news if you're an employee. Bad news if you're paying the taxes. <laughs> All right? And in the same way, he says, this is the message. This is the message. This is the news. And for Christians, we look at this, we have taken this and said, this is good news. This is the message that we receive. Good news from God. And it begins, as I said, with God, not with me. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. The good news. The message about God. This is the message. God. The message of the Bible, as you open up your Bible and begin to read it. When I was younger, I, like many of the people who shared earlier, I grew up in church. And I read the Bible and I thought it was a bunch of stories. Just, you know, good stories, nice stories. And they are some really good stories. But the Bible isn't about man seeking God. In fact, as you go through the Bible, man doesn't seek God most of the time. But it's about God seeking man. It's about God coming to man in the form, eventually, of Jesus and reaching out to save him. The whole Old Testament is the Jews being, um, the Jewish nation being formed and being prepared for the coming of the Messiah. For the coming of God. Everything is pointing to God. And as long as I am in the center of the gospel, as long as, 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 long as the gospel starts with me, I want to say you'll be miserable, but that may be too strong of a word. I think you'll lack joy. You'll lack joy. Your joy will not be full. And so that's what I want to look at today. Maybe one reason our joy is not complete it's because we're self-centered instead of God-centered. You know, every discipline, every discipline of study centers around you. Almost everyone I can think of. Anyone, the ones I can think of. Where we come from. Evolution. But schools teach about evolution. It centers around man. The Bible says God created. Take a choice. Uh, another one, who determines what is real? Who, who determines authority? Laws, politics, we make laws, change laws. You know, we'll, we'll go back and forth and am I following the law? The law, the law books are so big, we, we, all, we are all lawbreakers. We don't even know the laws that are out there. That's real, that's true. That's politics, law. The Bible says God is the final authority. God is the authority. The Bible is truth. Philosophy, know thyself. I think it was Plato that started that. I already said it originally. Know thyself. You know what the Bible says? God says, know me. Get to know me. Psychiatrists will ask, what's disturbing you? You go to a psychiatrist, what's wrong with you? Tell me what's wrong with you. The Bible asks, what's disturbing God? What's the, what the problem here is something is wrong that you've done, but it's disturbing God. The wrath of God, sin, etc. 
And even preachers, we begin with a message sometimes like this. You want to be happy? You need to fix your marriage? Want to learn how to manage your money better? Raise your children better? Come to God. And He'll teach you how to do it. And so we start, and in, in, in a sense, we have to start with ourselves. I realize that. I can only look out of the world through my own eyes. Uh, every morning I wake up, guess, guess who the first person I'm aware of is me. You know, my needs, what I feel, how I'm feeling this particular moment. You know, my life is centered around me. I know that. And so often when we come to God, it's because we've been, we've been hit in the face by, the, by life. And it hurts. And we turn to God. I'm not saying that that doesn't turn us to God. But at that point, when we become aware, God needs to be the center, the focus. The Bible says, contemplate God. Actually, that, the, the word theology, one study, one discipline of study, means God knowledge, God study, studying about God. And many times when we study about God, we study about ourselves. We start at the wrong point. We sometimes speak of the results of the gospel instead of the gospel itself. Sometimes I think we even twist the results of the gospel. Not on purpose, just out of ignorance. We call it ignorant blasphemy if you want to. We just kind of twist it a little bit. And, and we're, we talk about being happy and being secure, being content in your relationships. You, you will be mended emotionally. You'll be mended. You'll be healed physically. You know, just come to God. You know, focus on, on how God is going to change your life. And no wonder, over the years, I've seen so many people walk away from God when God didn't fix their problem. Do you see what I'm saying? They walked away from, and I want to put that a little cheap, because they have a little God in their lives. Uh, the little God, little G, is going to fix their problem. And so when they walk away from God, they're walking away from a false God that they've created in their minds instead of the God who is light. God is light. Why do so many of us live lives of frustrations, Christian lives of frustrations? I thought God would do this. I thought God would do that. Why isn't this happening in my life? Why isn't that happening in my life? I thought if I gave my life to God, He would fix this situation. I gave my life to God, and I don't even have a girlfriend, much less a wife. God may be blessing you. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. <clears throat> but actually, that's true. But anyway, we won't go down that road. But my point is this. We, we focus, we, we come to God and say, I'll do it your way. I'll follow you. I'll, you know, I, I'm going to serve you. And then when something bad happens to us, we push him to the side and say, I thought God would. I, I thought God would. I am at the center instead of God who is at the center. I've begun wrong. I've started wrong. I need to begin with God and not myself. Start with God, change will come. And correct change will come. The revelation about who God is, what He's done, what He's made you to be, is found in the truth of the light of the gospel of the glory of God. It gets to us. It begins to change us. 
It's a process. It's a maturity. It's a growth that we'll go through. And we'll begin to see where I fit in. Where I should be. What I should be doing. When things don't go my way, there's an answer to that. Here's the, here's the basic answer to that. You are not God. The universe does not revolve around me. And that's why some things don't go your way. But the Bible talks about how God even works in those, those situations. We, start, we need to start with the one true God because we become like what we worship. You worship a false God and you'll live a false life. I'm going to go all the way to the end of 1 John. You know what the last verse in 1 John says? And we're going to have a whole... You'll forget this by the time I get there. Little children, you know how it just ends? Keep yourself from idols. I think that's what he's talking about. We center our lives around idols, false gods, the way we... What we think life should be like. John calls it darkness. We begin by looking at God in truth, who is truth. We become like Him. We can say all our problems stem from a misunderstanding of God, who God is. And we'll, we'll always have problems because we'll never fully understand who God is. But the more we understand Him, our problems, our situations will come into perspective and we'll learn how to live our lives. Our joy will be full. We will learn how not to sin. We will be assured of our salvation. Let's look at this. God is light. The emphasis is on God. And as we go into the following verses that John Canterbury read to us, we're going to see our connection with the light. I tried really, really hard, and I think I accomplished this. We're going to look at God, light. I kept trying to come to where we fit in that, but that's going to be in verse 6 and 7 and on into chapter 2. So this is, this is so expansive, so deep, that I don't have... I would have to do a whole series on light. I looked up the word light in the Bible. I don't know. I didn't count them. There's a lot of references to God being light, the word being light and so on. And so what I'm going to touch on, I had to decide what to leave out instead of what to put in. And so I left out a lot. You can be thankful for that. All right. But we're going to look at this. You know, the very first words God said in the Bible was what? Let there be light. Let there be light. And where did that light come from? From God. It came from God. You know, we, we think of a, a, a ball of light, the sun or something like that. There, that's where the light came from. No, it came from God. God said, let, let, let there be light. And so God gives us natural light, and it's an expression of who He is. You know, a lot of times we hear about the glory of God. And I've shared with you over a time that a lot of times we, we speak about glorious and glory of God and it's, and it's abstract. We, we get this picture of a light and just kind of a feeling. But the word actually means weightiness, value, uh, God's value, his weight, his worth. And when we come to that word glory, but as you read through the Bible, the glory of God is often displayed in light. And that's where we get that concept from. What does that mean? Let's look at... Real briefly, a few places. Uh, Moses. Moses is out in the desert. And he sees something up on the hill there, on the mountain there. And he notices it's a bush that is burning. And he gets up there and it's not being consumed. What was that light? God. God putting himself in a physical form so that he could communicate with, with Moses. But he came as light. 
Later on, uh, we see the pillar of uh, fire at night when Moses was taking the, the uh, um, Israelites through the desert for 40 years. There's a pillar of fire over the tabernacle every night, displaying God. This is, God, this is a symbol of God. Someone speculates that that's one way God kept the Israelites warm. You know, at night in the desert, it gets very, very cold. And God was sharing his, not only his light, but his warmth with the, with the, uh, with the people. It was, it was um, not air conditioning, but the heating unit for the camp. God's light. And then later on, we, see, we can see in the tabernacle itself what is called the Shekinah glory. The, the light that came from, from the two uh, cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. This shining light. The only person who ever saw that was the high priest. But we see this all through the Bible, God displaying himself as light. A couple of quick passages. Psalms 104, verse 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment, displaying God's wrath, uh, his light, his, his character. Um, I know over in Psalms 27, verse 1, one of my favorite psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16 says, God who lives in unapproachable light. So we see how God, all through the Bible, is connected to light. But what does light do? So what does light do? What's the purpose of light? How does God display His light, His glory? The first thing light does is reveal. It reveals itself. Acts chapter 7, verse 2. The first Jew was Abraham. The beginning of the Jewish nation. And it says in Acts chapter 7, the God of glory, this God of light, appeared to our father Abraham. He, uh, he, he made himself known. He let him know something about himself. Later on, the law, God descended on, on, the, uh, on Mount Sinai in the form of fire. We see that light. As he's giving the law, he says, okay, here's the law. This is how you are to live. And he comes again as light. But ultimately and completely, God reveals himself in Jesus. We see him revealing himself in part throughout the Old Testament. But we come to Jesus, and I'm going to read these passages very quickly. And we're going to start with the book of the Gospel of John. I get over there. John chapter 1. Let's just go through here real quick, and I'm not going to make much comment on any of them. But listen carefully. Verse 4. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light, the revelation of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This is the light that came into the world. Jesus Himself. We have seen what? We have seen His glory. And that's not talking about a halo that was above His head. Alright? This is talking about His character, His life, His value, who He was. The glory of the uh, one and only who came from the Father. And what was that glory full of? What was that light full of? Grace and truth. Verse uh, 8, let's see. 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. We know God through the revelation, God revealing Himself through the light of Jesus. 
Later on, Jesus himself refers to this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then you go to uh, chapter 14, one of my favorite passages in the book of John. Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you such a long time, don't you recognize me? You want to see the Father, you're seeing him right here. Just an interesting side thought. How much did Jesus teach us about the Father? How many lessons did Jesus give on God? Read the Gospels. Hardly at all. Hardly at all. He didn't come to teach us about God. He came to display God. Say, I am the light of the world. I am God standing among you. We go on down to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, another great passage. He says here, um, The sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory. It's the rays of God's glory. The outpouring of God's glory. What sun, when... They're, they're separate, but they're the same. You have the sun, and you have rays of the sun. When do the rays begin? Whenever the sun begins. Can you have rays without the sun? No. Can you have the sun without the rays? No. The Father and the Son are the same, are the same but different. He is the expression of God. He's the radiance of God's glory. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, when John sees Jesus... For the first time, when he turns in this vision, he sees him, he describes his face as a face that is shining like the sun with all its brilliance. What's the face? The face is your character. It's who you are. If I say, can I take a picture of you? I don't take a picture of your feet, even though that would be you, right? It would be your feet. But I take a picture of your face. That's you. And so when Jesus was displaying himself symbolically there in, in, in Revelation, his character is like the sun shining in all its glory. Do you ever wonder why I spend so much time talking to you about Jesus? We tease about that some. How long we went through the Gospels and so, so on. How many times I keep going back to Jesus? We miss him, we miss the message. We miss him, we miss the message completely. If we don't understand, I don't think it's too strong of a statement. If we don't understand the Bible through the personality of Jesus, we'll miss God. We'll see laws, we'll see rules, we'll see a lot of other things, but we won't see God. If we miss from Genesis 1 to Revelation, whatever the last 21, whatever, 22... If we don't see the message of the Bible through the personality of Jesus, we'll miss him. He's like light revealing himself in a dark cave. Years ago, I was spelunking, going through a cave. Someone invited me. It wasn't one of these walking caves. It was a crawling cave where you wear your helmet and all this. And got into this room, big cavern, waiting for some other people to come around a different passage and meet us. And we turned off our lights, our helmet lights. Because we need to conserve the battery. You don't want to lose your battery power down there. And it was so dark. 
totally dark. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I was moving and I couldn't see it. But when the light came, someone came around the corner. My eyes went straight to the light. I could see. And that's what God does. He, he reveals Himself to man. If we preach Jesus and Him crucified, He says it will draw all men to Him. And we have a hard time believing that. We do. We have a hard time. We say, you know, if I do a little arm twisting, just give you a little guilt here, you know, make you feel bad, make it happen. I can do something to make it happen. I can make it happen. And Jesus said, if, you, if, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to you, to, to me. Light reveals. It reveals Jesus. But light is also holiness. This is my, this is my last point. Light is holiness. And I could go on with some other things, but light is holiness. God is holiness. Light is holy. The second part, he says, in him there is no darkness at all. You know what that means? Literally, it's an emphatic statement there. It says, there is not even a little bit of darkness in him. Not the slightest bit of darkness. In him, there's absolutely no darkness at all. Every motive about God is pure. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is good. Try to get this into your mind. I, and it's, it's difficult. Everything God thinks, says, and does is pure. It's completely holy. God doesn't make up rules for us. He doesn't say, okay, let me get some rules for people down on earth to follow. Write them up. His life is the way. His whole being, what he does, the way he, his character, is, uh, who he is, is purity. And so we are to, to be pure. He's completely holy. We live, we are to live as a reflection of the character of God. Not listening to God for the rules that he's going to give us. But looking at his character and live according to his character. Right and wrong is not determined by God's arbitrary decisions. God's life is right because His nature is pure and holy. He can do no wrong. He's our standard. Leviticus chapter 19, though it's quoted in 1 Peter also, says this, Be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. You be like me. Do you want to know the rules? Look at my life. Do you want to know how to live? Look at my life. You be holy because this, this is it. This is, this is the best you can be. This is the, this, you can't get any better than this. So you're holy, not so you're following rules, but you're, you're reflecting God's character in His nature. If we don't begin with a holy God, we'll miss the gospel. We'll miss the reason for the cross. Our joy will not be complete. Our struggle will be great, with sin will be greater. And we will not know that you have eternal life. You know, someone says, why can't God just forgive us? I've done that before. Someone did something wrong to me. I said, you're forgiven. We go, I don't do anything except say, you're forgiven. Why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't God say, I know you did wrong, but it's okay. I forgive you. Why the cross? If you don't understand the holiness of God, you'll never understand the cross. And we don't have time to go there. We've spent some time there in the past. But just look at what I want, look at what John is saying. He's centering on, on God and he's saying that's the focus. God is the focus. 
People sometimes say to me, you know, God and I are okay. We're fine. My relationship with God is fine. And they're usually telling me this when they're leaving the fellowship. All right? You know, they're, they're going out the back door, basically. And they're saying, that's okay. Me and God are fine. I love God. And I know He loves me. I know God wants me to be happy. Maybe some of you have said these things yourself. Our problem is we don't understand holy God. The God of love of the Bible is substituted for a little g God of a little l love. My understanding of love. My understanding of God. I can't have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with you. That's what God says. That's not what I said. That's what God says. I can't have fellowship with God, so my, uh, with God on my own terms. But on His, and even more, it's not on God's terms. It's on according to His character. According to His light. According to where, who He is. And so that's why it's so important for me to focus on God so I know how to reflect Him. How to live according to His character. When you think of the holiness of God... Many of us have a sense of awe, which is great, and terror. I wanted to, I asked myself the question, is that my definition of holy or his? If I am absolutely, as a Christian, as a Christian, terrified of God, is that based on his holiness or my definition of holiness? it's so easy to start with ourselves. I am an ungodly person. I am unworthy. I believe that God could not have fellowship with me. Why would he want to have fellowship with this dirty sinner? You know what I just did? I, I focused on myself again. I went right back to me. Of course, if I look at myself, God doesn't want to have... How could anyone have fellowship with me? If you knew everything about me, if I knew everything about you, would I want to be with you? Fellowship with God is based on a holy God acting out His holy character in behalf of us. It actually has nothing to do with you. You've done nothing to make yourself worthy. You've done nothing to catch God's attention. You've done nothing that says, you know, I love this group of people. I'm going to save them. We've done nothing to deserve that. It's all centered in God who is holy. God's holy character made holy decisions for on our behalf. Let me go to two quick passages and then we'll be done. Romans chapter 4. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically just going to read these. He's talking about, he's talking about um, Romans chapter 4 verse 23. He's talking about... Abraham, and he says, that, he says um, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness, credited to Abraham as righteousness. It was put in his account. He was credited, he was stated as a righteous person. Oh, okay, Abraham, I understand that, man of faith. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. 
to whom God, God of light, holy God, righteous God, pure God, who never does anything wrong, who totally does everything right, to whom God will credit righteousness, right with God, for who? For everyone who does the right thing. No. For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised for our justification, just as if we'd never sinned. God did that, not us. Therefore, since we have been justified, made just as if we'd never sinned, through faith, we can relax in God. We have peace with God. You terrified of God? That's why I said, what's your definition of holy? Holy God is doing something here. Not because of me, but because of Him. Through whom we have gained access to God by faith into this gift of God, this grace, in which we now stand. We're standing in that grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let me skip down to verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God who is light, has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Holy God doing it for you. I don't... Get I out of the picture. I know you don't deserve it. But last week I focused on God. Here's a prayer that Paul prayed. It's a beautiful prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Here's the prayer. I keep asking that the God who is light, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious light-giving Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why does He want you to have revelation and wisdom? Why does He want you to know something? So that you may know Him better. That's why I give you Christ. That's why he's giving you, he says, I want you to have the wisdom to get to know me better. I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be made bright in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you're outside of Christ, and you come to the holiness of God, it should invoke terror. It really should. I'm not diminishing God in any way. When you look at God outside of salvation, outside of a relationship to you, it should be terrifying. Who created the creation, the huge infinite creation down to the beauty of a, of a bug. Look at a bug under a microscope. Beautiful. Who created all these things. One into the other. And if you're not in a relationship to, with them, yes, it should be terrifying. And there's nothing you can do to get in that relationship. Nothing you can earn. You can't merit it. Okay, I'll stop doing this. I'll start doing this. I'll... I, I, I. Stop saying I. What do you, you want me to do? 
Well, I've already done it, God says. I've paid the price for you. Now just receive it by faith. You know what that means, receive it by faith? It means I believe that this big thing that you did that I don't deserve, you've done it for me. All right? I put my trust in you. I'm going to follow you like some of the people said. I'm going to do what you said. He says, well, part of that, which we automatically do, is repentance. It's like, man, I don't, what a life I've been living. I repent. I turn from that. Acknowledge who God is. And then he says in Romans chapter 6, when we're buried with him in baptism, that old man is killed. And we rise to walk a new life. At that point, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not my words. Romans chapter 8. And you can stand in confidence before God, the God who is light, the God of unapproachable light. He says, you approach me in Christ. And there's no sense of terror. There's a sense of fellowship. If your joy is not complete, if you're struggling with sin, we'll look at that in a little while. If you do not know of salvation, get to know the God of light. That's where you have to start.